So today, I wanted to continue. Two weeks ago, we were talking about intersections, talking about sanctification, talking about this journey that we're on. From Philippians, the third chapter, Paul's letter to the Philippians, and it was great, the stuff that he gave. It was just so rich. You can only take a couple verses at a time. And so today, continuing in that thought, Philippians third chapter, we're going to be using as a text verses 12 through 14. I'm going to read that to you. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. As I was reading that this week, it struck me. Every once in a while, you have those moments when you're alone with God and something just strikes you, a truth that you knew, but it just hits you again. And that truth that hit me this week is the fact that there are some things that I must leave behind in order to go where God is calling me. And there are some things that I must press toward to go where God is calling me. As with most things, when I'm reading my Bible, I will get a random thought because I have those. And so I write it down. And God reminded me of many Myrtle Beach vacations that I've had with my family. And part of a vacation, part of that whole thrill is the journey, right? <laughs> there have been some trips to Myrtle Beach that have been like the Brady Bunch, like song in the car, happiness the whole way, just beauty. And there have been trips that I felt like I needed therapy after. You know, on our journey, there are, we were talking about intersections before. Well, there are mile markers. There are some places that we will pause, where we will exit for a bit. And to get real for a moment, there is one mile marker in particular that I'll never forget. It's mile marker 111, Tupper's Creek Road. It's about 20 minutes above Charleston on Route 77 in West Virginia. It was on this stretch of road that as we were driving that I witnessed one of the worst accidents I think that I've ever seen. We were very close to it, pulled over, and got out of the car. And there in the July heat, with the heat coming off the road and the traffic backing up, I knelt beside a young lady who was part of that accident and whose life would end right there on that road. And I remember just how surreal that seemed. And we often would go the same way to vacation, and Myrtle Beach is kind of a family spot, and so for years I would pass that spot. And it's something that has marked me. I can't erase that memory, it's there. And the fact was that even when that happened, I could not remain at that spot. There's a point where I needed to get back in the vehicle, and I needed to move on. 
when the first responders had gotten there. And there's another place that, again, my Myrtle Beach memories, it is just outside Ellerby in North Carolina. It's a little family fruit market. It's called Johnson's Peaches. If you know, you know. They have the best homemade peach ice cream and shortbread. It's amazing. And even though that place is wonderful and it's something that we as a family, we always stop. I can't stay there. As great as it is, there's a time when the shortbread's gone and I need to move on. And so I'd ask you this morning, before I jump into this, how's your journey going? Philippians 3.12, when I had read that, you know who writes that this is Paul. This is Paul. If you think about a rock star, if you think about someone that everyone would consider having everything all together, it's Paul. And Paul, in godly wisdom, knew that he didn't have it all together. Paul, in his godly wisdom, knew that he was a work in progress because he knew that before there was Paul, there was a Saul. And he knew that improved did not mean perfected. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or already arrived at my goal. Maturity in Jesus is learning how to say when we are on the mountaintop or when we're on the valley, I have not obtained it all. I haven't come this far to stop right here. The devil will play tricks. He's a sly old fox, I learned when I was young and we sang about it. He'll try to get you to think that everyone else gets all the mountaintops and all you get are the valleys. But Paul draws our attention to God's playbook. And Paul says these words. He says, I press on. Paul's advice to you, press on. Those words there when he says that the original meaning is like a hunter going after prey. See, at my house, we're not allowed to watch National Geographic while we're eating. I love National Geographic channel. It's little antelopes, their little tails, and you just know you're yelling like, don't, don't, raise your head, and there comes the lion. That is what Paul's saying. Like, he presses on. I am after, I am after what God has, like that lion's after that antelope. And what I love is the fact that Paul understood this because Saul, he hunted Christians and Paul hunts down the things of God. But the beauty of it and what I love that speaks to me so much is the fact that the kindling for the fire that would be in Paul was already there when he was Saul. There's gonna be God reminders and they aren't there to condemn you, but what they're there to do, they're there to remind you that there was a blueprint, that there was a plan. They were there to help you understand that when you thought you were chasing Jesus, he was already chasing you down. What I love about that, he says, I don't count myself to have attained. When you look up the meaning of those words in the Greek, that word, I count, it's a word that any southern Mi'maw knows very well, and that is reckon. Well, I reckon that this ain't over. Well, I reckon that I haven't arrived yet. Well, I reckon that it's not there. And when you look deeper into it, it's closely tied with the word logos. In other words, it's tied to the fact that when I view things through a God lens and through his word, I understand that I'm not there yet, but I know who's with me. Keep pressing on. 
keep pressing on. You have two choices. It is said that at the height of Spain's world power during the 15th century, that Spain would make their own coins. And on their coins, when they thought that they were the end-all power, on their coins, they would write this phrase, nothing further. Well, as time went on and they discovered the earth was not as flat as they thought it was and there were other places to go, they changed their coins to say more beyond. And I feel like as Christians, we can live or die by one of those two sayings. And both are scary. Saying nothing further or the more beyond. The scary part about more beyond is me saying, God, you've got this. I don't know where you're taking me, but that phrase that we use here a lot at church, it's good scary, it's God scary, and you're taking me somewhere. I have been apprehended. When you look, I've been apprehended by Christ. I think of it in law enforcement terms. I've been apprehended, and now I apprehend. In other words, I've been deputized by the one who pursued and laid hold on this soul. I've been given charge to chase the things of heaven while I'm here on earth. I've been given a charge to bind and loose in the name of Jesus while I'm here on earth. And here's what I think about this. We're at a, you know, you think when you get deputized, you can be deputized in one of a couple ways. Give me this first one. You can be deputized like this. Well, shucks, there's evil in the world, right? Like, and you're just, you could be deputized like this. Give me the second one. Yeah. What? God expects me to do something about that? Come on, Andy. You know, just like, you don't. You know how I want to be deputized? Give me this one. This is how I want to be deputized, <laughs> right? This. Like, I want to roundhouse kick the devil in the face. I want to be deputized in that way. I need to understand that that deputized part, the authority doesn't rest on me. So, see, any policeman, it's not like, yes, I'm a policeman, I am my own authority. No, they work under the authority which has been granted to them. And understanding the fact that the authority doesn't rest on me, it comes from Jesus Christ. I'm merely operating where he's telling me to operate. He laid hold on me. He apprehended me. Just like with Paul. When he laid hold on Paul, do you know why he did what he did? He laid hold on him. According to Romans 6, 4, he wanted to make him a new man. As Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. He raised Paul up for newness of life, and he raised you up in newness of life. He apprehended Paul in order, according to Romans 8.29, to conform him to the image of Jesus Christ. That's why he raised you up too. So however you may have looked before, he's like, I want you to conform to the look of Jesus Christ. When he apprehended Paul, he apprehended him for two reasons. Number one was to make him a witness. It says in the word, he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. He was raised up not just as a witness, but he was raised up so that he, through his testimony, could be a part of the conversion story of other people. Why were you raised up? For the same exact reason. We've been talking about getting your testimony ready, getting your testimony ready, because at any point, someone's going to need to hear that. And what's wild with Paul, 
He could have stopped at any one of those intersections and said, I have arrived and no further. But he continued to apprehend for Jesus Christ. He continued to grab heaven wherever he saw that. He knew that this would not be over until faith became sight. He knew that because of Christ's resurrection, there would be a resurrection for him one day. Philippians 3.13, Paul says it again. He's like, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. In other, it's just wild. Like in case you missed me saying it two times, I'm gonna say it again. But then he gives advice, sage advice. Imagine sitting in front of Paul and thinking the next thing that he says, this is gonna be gold. What is he going to say? There were hundreds of things he could have given pointers on, thousands of things. He could have given professional advice on any level to these people. But here was his go-to move. First, forgetting the things that are behind, and second, reaching toward the things that lie ahead. Paul's advice to you, learn to be forgetful. <laughs> My wife isn't in here. She knows that, like, I'm, I'm good at this. And God has blessed me with forgetfulness. <laughs> yeah, he has. My plan when it comes to things, though, I don't want to leave things behind. My plan when it comes to things, I really don't want to press forward when I'm comfortable. But in order to get to the places that God has planned for me, I have to tell my heart sometimes, heart, we are not ending this Jesus journey right here. Paul says, forget the past. What Paul doesn't say is to get spiritual amnesia. That's a tough one. See, Paul remembered when people were kind to him. Paul remembered when people were cruel to him. Paul remembered the victories, and Paul remembered the beatings. But the truth of the matter is, Paul did not live there. And I think that as Christians, where we grow, we need to understand you can't stay there. Neither past failures or victories held him back from where God wanted to take him. The last time that I spoke, I referenced the fact that there are weights that some of us carry that we were never meant to carry. But I would submit to you this morning, what about the successes? Because the weight of success can crush us just as easily as the weight of failures if we try to carry it on our own shoulders. There have been times in my walk where I feel like I have simply been sitting in the car and staring at the rearview mirror. I remember when I first started driving, 10 and 2, the mirrors freaked me out. I spent a lot more time looking at the mirrors than I should. You know when you drive a while, you're just glancing, right? You're glancing. Me at 16, I was just staring, staring at that mirror. Whoever was teaching me to drive, may God bless you. Problem is, if you try to do that, it's not going to be a success. You're going to run into something. You may think you're being overcautious, but you're not going forward. In Christ Jesus, our failures were covered by his death. My successes are tied to his resurrection. 
And that's how I want it to stay. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Whether tomorrow is going to be sunny or stormy, I can face tomorrow because he lives. And I'm going to give him glory in either circumstance. We need to come to a place, as Paul did, that we understand that the gospel is not a part of our life, but the gospel is every part of our life. We need to come to a place where we don't just try to apply it, but we walk in it in everything that we do. That we're bundled up in it. Because we always want God to take us to unimaginable places. But sometimes he's going to ask us to strain toward what is ahead. The wording there, when you look that up, it's referencing runners in particular. And runners, not just running, but getting near the finish line. And during these Greek games, you know, you can read about it sometimes. There were no participation trophies. Sometimes if you lost, you died. And so you were very motivated to cross the finish line first. And so you think of these people running toward a finish line and straining with everything in them. Running so hard that when they ran, they would probably collapse on the other side of that finish line. He's saying, that's how I'm straining forward right now. Another thing, when I was reading about this, it was referencing athletes. Well, here, before, here's a disclaimer before I go in this next part. I have referenced baseball two weeks in a row. This does not mean that I'm about the sports. It just means that I know things about baseball right now, okay? So during the 90s, there was a player who had the most beautiful swing in all of baseball, Ken Griffey Jr. Awesome player. Ken Griffey Jr. had the ability to rob people of home runs in instances just like this. Notice where his eye is in this shot. The next shot, check this one out. Someone else, yeah, that one, because they didn't have HD cameras back then. This is as good as it got, but check it out. Guy's like armpit high above the wall, robbing someone else. Give me this next one. He didn't just operate against the wall. Look at that. What? And give me the next one. The truth is, when it comes to spiritual matters, we all want to be like the highlight reel, right? We want to be the highlight reel. But let me ask you something. Todd, you play ball, right? At some point, he's got to come down, right? And that's not going to tickle, is it? Or how about when you go for the wall and you think, I've got this one, show me the next one. No one wants to be that Ken Griffey Jr., right? Spiritually speaking, there are, is going to be impact from some of the moves that we make. I, I mean, the wall, it's padded, but I'm not running into that wall. I'm not calling Todd, be like, hey, Todd, can I go run my head into the wall down at the ballpark later? I'm not doing that. But you need to understand that we can get so caught up and so mad at God because we can focus on that. God, gravity was so good when the ball fell right in my mitt. God, gravity is not so good when I think I dislocated my shoulder. The beauty of Ken Griffey, though, there was something called the Griffey flip. And as soon as he would make one of those magical plays from the glove, he would flip the ball and catch it with his other hand. I've been praying, God, let me have that same move when it comes to Satan. When he thinks that I am messed up, just let me get up in you and do that flip just to make him mad. Just to make him mad in that moment. Again, we want to be the highlight. 
God, we pray, God, use my life to reflect you so that others might see you. That sounds like a great prayer, but do we really understand what that means? You know, in Paul's case, Paul was an excellent speaker. But the majority of Paul's testimony didn't come from Paul's fire sermons. It came from the fact of Paul's well-documented suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ and the fact that he pressed on. The most powerful parts of that testimony were so costly to him on this side of glory. You know, I'll pray, God, you know, I'm willing to suffer for you. And really in my heart, I'm thinking, I'm willing to be mildly uncomfortable for you, God, and I hope someone notices that. I hope they, they witness that. And there are times when God just whispers to you, and you feel like you're trying to write the God story. And he has to remind you that when you try to write the God story, that at best, Jesus Christ just becomes a character. And I don't want that. I want him to be my king. We have a gully washer of a service on Sunday that souls are saved. We have people throwing all manner of things they're walking away from on the altar. The worship time, the glory clouds here. The kids, they walk out of children's church quoting whatever scripture for the week. No one spills coffee on the carpet. I'm invited to someone's house after church, and there's no sports on that day. And then they tell me, you know what we're having? We're having KFC. We're getting the dark meat bucket, and we're getting extra coal. And so we eat outside, there's no yellow jackets and no flies, and there I sit in a full belly of dark meat, chicken, and coleslaw in the afterglow of a good service, and then the trumpet sounds and Jesus comes back. That's how I write my story. <laughs> that... But do you realize what's missing from all that story? Jesus. You know, I only put him at the end of that. All the rest of it's stuff that makes me comfortable. I want to get away from that. So much me, so little Jesus. Paul knew the victory would come on the other side of this life. He knew that's where the victory was. That's why he could say, forget what's behind, strain toward that which is ahead. Philippians 3.14, we are going to end on this verse. I'm not closing yet. I'll give you that look. I press on toward the goal. To win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. I press on. So a few years back, I decided, you know what? I can go take a spin class at the Y. Get in there. This lady that taught the spin class, I think she said she was 70 years old. She destroyed me. But there was this thing with the spin class, when you're doing certain things, there's a handle on the bike. And so she would say, okay, quarter turn, full turn, and it's resistance, right? Well, the truth of the matter is, you know, a couple times maybe I'd reach down and be like, and I didn't turn it because she was killing me. And no one knew no one knew. And I say that because in life, there are, you know when you're turning the handle. You know when you're trying, and you know when you're just going through the motions. Like a hunter chasing prey, I press on, he says. Another meaning of that, like a watchman. 
I'm not going to leave my post because I'm looking for Jesus. I'm not going to leave my post. The other root, and I never do this with Greek words because I always destroy them, but it's scopesis. I only do the ones I know I can pronounce. Scopesis is the word which is used here. It's the same root word which is attached to something we would look through, more specifically to us, to me, something that would be attached to a rifle. Hmm. And so I started thinking about this. So if any of you have ever shot a high-power rifle that has a sling on it, one of the things that you would do if it has that sling is you'll take the sling and you'll wrap it around your arm to get a better platform so that you don't have shake going on when you're trying to look through the scope. As I'm reading that, I'm thinking a sling, like really, all a sling is on most guns is just a belt. I just felt like in that moment, as I'm reading that, I just thought, you know, there are times that we, you and I, when we're trying to keep our eyes on what Jesus is doing, we need to take that belt of truth out, and we need to just wrap up. We need to wrap ourselves in it so that we can see what God wants us to see, so we're not looking at the things that are around, so we're not distracted by anything, so that we keep focus on the things he wants us to keep focus on. I need to realize that it is God who sets the goals. It is not me who sets the goals. I want to press toward his goals. I set the bar pretty low for me. There are times he may set it high, and that's when it requires faith in order for me to get there. It's my job to focus. Those things that are before me, Greek wording there when you read it, specifically says occupying a specific time and place. Sounds a lot like an appointment to me. I'm focusing on an appointment which God has made for me. When we go to Myrtle Beach, two o'clock, you get in the condo. Be at the beach house by two. No matter what else goes on, be at the beach house by two. On this journey, we can get sidetracked. I can definitely get sidetracked. My wife, you are not allowed to use the restroom until you leave Ohio. That's kind of the rule. She doesn't want us to use the restroom at all. You know, I'll get a coffee and I'll get like the look, like, you know what this means, right? And I'm like, sorry. <laughs> On this journey, Paul references something and he talks about a prize. A prize in the Greek means a reward that follows triumph. There is hope in this salvation that we have. I want to see Jesus. I want to spend eternity with Jesus, and I want relationship with Jesus on this side of things. Again, when I try to write my own story and to go back to what I was talking about with Tinker's Creek Road in the beginning, (laughs) I knew in my heart that the young lady I had sat with, that she was gone. But when we got to the beach house, I got online. So I just wandered. And one of the hardest things for me was the fact on, may have been a Charleston news site, it was simply a couple lines. That there was a multi-car accident just above Charleston, and a young lady lost her life at the scene. 
And I found out when I was reading it, I saw her name, which I'll never forget. And I saw that she was the same age as me. And it's really odd to me because when I drive through there, part of me wants to stop. I don't know why. Am I going to lay flowers down? I, I, I don't know. There's just some, I don't know. But the truth of the matter is, it is 70 miles an hour on that road. If I was to do things according to my own plan, I could cause much worse than the very thing that I stopped to honor. And as much as I wish that I could have rewritten the story of that day, I was on my way with my family and I couldn't stop there and I couldn't turn around there. I couldn't say this vacation's over here. I had to keep going. And it didn't feel fair that things played out that way. But God is still good. And I remember we got to Bernice's house. Hug from Bernice and a piece of peach pie. And I didn't sleep well that night. But it helped me to understand that being instant in season and out of season may not look the way that you want it to look sometimes, but that God is with you, that God has got you by the hand, and you just need to be faithful in the situations that he places you in. There are times when I pray that I feel like God just sort of highlights things. You can call it discernment. You can call it what you want. But I feel like there's times that you can see the devil's play going on. And I feel like one thing that the devil has just unleashed on the church at large in this time is a deception. That's been his game from the beginning. Deceive them and then see what they do with it. The deception that's going on is make them think that they've arrived. Make them stop short. Either from really terrible things or from really great things but make them think this is where it stops. And I say this because whether you have only walked with Jesus for a matter of weeks or whether you walked with him for decades, that deception works the same way for both. He wants us to say, I've already attained. He wants us to say nothing further. That's his goal. Stop the church dead in its tracks. Turn it into a club. Turn it into relatively better. Turn it into something that it was never supposed to be, but that people like. Don't stop. There's something on our trips that always happens. One hour outside of Myrtle Beach, I see the first sign for Dolly Parton's Pirate's Dinner. They're real pirates. Aiden, you were there. They're real pirates. You get to eat chicken with your hands. Like eight-year-old me could live in that place. But the truth is, when I see that first sign, I can tell 
this isn't the place I should stop. I start getting impatient, but there's still an hour to go. Put your foot on the gas, keep going. It's my job to focus and press on because we got to be there at two o'clock to get those keys to that beach house. So for whoever's out there today, I'm just going to speak some truth here in a moment. I'm going to ask that the prayer elders come forward right now, if you could, because I want to pray specifically with two groups of people. It is God who has set the goal that is before you. It is your job to focus on that. Today, here's what I'm going to ask in closing. There are two groups of people that if it is you, I want you to come up and I want you to pray with someone. Here's the first group. There have been hurts from your past, very real hurts that have caused you to pull over and take the key out of the ignition. You are right now and you have lived in a place of mourning. The things that you're mourning are good things, if not great things. You sit with your eyes locked on the rear view mirror and you don't know how to go forward. You know that you haven't reached your destination. And what you need is you need God to do what only God can do. That's pretty specific. But as a pastor, those are the kind of things that I deal in. That's the real. So today, I'm not, I'm not wanting facade. I'm not wanting anything else. If you're that person that has just been locked down by hurt and very real hurt, things that it could have been after you came to know the Lord, it could have been before that you don't understand, that you don't. I'm not here to say you're going to walk away with every answer that you ever needed. What I'm going to say is that this is a point where you can agree in prayer with someone else and we can say something new starts today second one here's what I'm calling out and if this is you I want you to come get prayer you have been on this walk for so long you've seen the miraculous with your own eyes you have learned about and even engaged your spiritual gifts you know all the right verses You're even the person that people come to for God answers. But here's the truth. It's feeling rote to you. There have been more mountaintops than you can count. But you feel like your experience with God has almost become a spiritual autopilot kind of thing. In some strange way, you have also turned off the ignition. You've been sitting and you've been quietly asking God, God, please restore the joy of my salvation. And I would remind you in this moment that Psalm 51, 12 says, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. 
I say that because it's time for us as a church to stop playing church. It's time for us as a church to stop saying we have it all together at points that we don't have it all together. It's time to be real and be real with one another because what we have are people who spiritually can bear your burdens, but we can't bear what we don't know about in order to go the places that he has ahead for us, it's time to begin to operate in a way where we are transparent. So I'm going to bow my head. I'm going to pray. If you are in one of those two groups and you wish to pray, I would ask you to come down. So if you will please stand. After I pray, the worship team will be playing soft. And if you need prayer, this is your time come forward. Father, right now, I thank you for the time with your people. I thank you, God, that none of us are in this alone. And Lord, I thank you for the fact that the appearances of perfection are not something that you ever put on us. Lord, I pray right now that you would speak to hearts and I pray freedom for those who need freedom the most. In the name of Jesus, I pray.